Today is the day. Absolutely huge day for the All Our Ways podcast. For me, uh, as the host, it was a dream come true to get to interview someone who is literally a hero uh, to me, has really inspired me. I've learned so much from this man from afar. And uh, man, I really think you're in from a treat. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to give a huge shout out to our friends over at One Hope, our podcast sponsor. Uh, One Hope recently completed a massive research study analyzing the beliefs and struggles of over 8,000 teens around the world. That's right, 8,000 teenagers around the world. There's an entire free report, free report, dedicated to just what the research found out about teens in the U.S., as well as practical resources to help you apply the findings to your ministry. If you're a ministry leader listening to this, this could be extremely helpful if you work with the next generation. Did you know that 38% of U.S. Christian teens report that they have never shared their faith? Or that 56% of U.S. Christian teens believe that it is okay to have sex before marriage? Learn more about the next generation and some of these findings and how you can best serve them by going to onehope.net slash allourways. That's onehope.net slash allourways. Also, I have a book. It is uh, out on Amazon, and the book is called Viral Jesus by uh, me. That's Noah Heron, Viral Jesus by Noah Heron. Uh, it's a book that I put my heart and soul into. I think it could be an encouragement to you. Uh, if you have students who are a part of your ministry, if you're in college listening to this, I think that it could be a real encouragement to you um, as well. Give it a chance. Check it out on Amazon.com by searching Viral Jesus by Noah Heron. Without further ado, today is a dream come true for me. When I started this podcast, it was in large part inspired by today's guest, and what he does on a weekly basis is pretty incredible. Uh, our guest today, Kerry Newhoff, is based in Canada, where he has uh, done just about everything that you could possibly do in ministry. He's pastored a thriving local church. He has become a leader whisperer for leaders around the world. He is on the Mount Rushmore of leadership in my book. He has a podcast that I've been listening to uh, every week for th almost three years now, and uh, it really has blessed me. His conversations um, are always so insightful, so encouraging, and always leave me with handles, uh, things that I can do to get better, to be better, um, to become more and to ultimately uh, follow Jesus the way that I think that we're called to follow him. And so, uh, man, this truly, truly is a huge honor to have Carrie on the podcast today. And uh, I really think that you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. So uh, if you need a second, go ahead and pause my voice, grab a notepad, grab your iPhone, something to take notes on, and um, get ready for the man, the myth, the legend, Carrie Newhoff. Harry, welcome to the All Our Ways podcast. No, it's a thrill to be with you, man. Really, really good to hang out. <laughs> so excited. Uh, it's, it snowed in Canada last night. It is not Dude. snowing here. We but, had to um, live up to our reputation. So you know. <laughs> there's this like um, CNN piece that came on my newsfeed. It was like, uh, and I'm not making a political statement here about CNN, but it was like, 
there's this thing in Canada where you have to get moose to stop licking your car because they like the salt on your car in the winter. I'm oh like, this is not helping our national reputation. It's not. <laughs> oh man. I have to mention um, up front, you have inspired me in, in a ton of different ways, but um, your green egg cooking <laughs> has really uh, sparked something in me that my wife is very thankful for. And um, we've started experimenting with our own uh, green egg. My, my dad bought one and, and we use it all the time. And so thank you so much for that. My wife told me to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. My life is very boring and it's repeating patterns. So there's a lot of green egg in my life. What's your favorite thing to cook? Like, what do you, what do you like Ooh. to smoke? Um, honest, honestly, my favorite thing, I, I use it more like a grill than a smoker, honestly. Yeah, which is um, okay. That's all right. Yeah. Don't feel like you're not a purist. That's okay. Yeah. I'm going to learn though. I've been wading into the waters before we bought um, one. I never cooked at all. My wife did most of the cooking. And so it's been really great for her. She just loves it. She encourages anytime she sees me looking up new green egg recipes, she's like, go for it. Just do your thing. Uh, but I cook mostly steaks and salmon. Um, on oh, it, yeah. Actually. We do a lot of steak and salmon here. Yeah. Got a brisket on for Thursday. So my son's Ooh. coming over. He's your age. So we're going to do uh, him and his girlfriend do a brisket and like, that's fun. That's an all day like thing. That's a big deal, man. I've got to I've got to venture out and, and shoot my shot with one of those. I just get nervous with it lasting that long. I'm like, there's so much opportunity for me to mess this up. Where <laughs> a steak is so much quicker, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do okay, it, man. <laughs> well, Carrie, thank you so much for, uh, for being on here. I, before we started recording, I told you that I've been a big fan of your podcast for several years now, since 2017. I've been a, a weekly listener. And um, something that I've always admired about you is I think you are world ranking number one at asking good questions. Um, you are incredible at asking questions that provoke uh, really thoughtful um, responses from people that you interview. And uh, I just wanted to start there because um, that's something that I think uh, a lot of us young leaders are trying to learn the art of um, is asking better questions. Have you always just been naturally curious? Is that something that you've built on? Where did that come from? Well, I hope I've been naturally curious, but I'm actually, I'm sort of a recovering talker. Um, <laughs> I link back to like when I was your age and I think I'd probably just steamrollered over people in conversations and I'm an Enneagram eight if you follow that stuff. So yeah. I have an opinion on everything. It doesn't even, it's not even right. I just have an opinion. And so I'm, I'm a recovering talker and uh, you know, I'm in my fifties now. So you learn a few things along the way, hopefully. And uh, yeah, I think the key to good question asking is really good listening. Curiosity is at the heart of it. Um, I try to read widely. Uh, I subscribe to newsletters and email just to find out stuff that isn't in my field. Um, yeah. I was reading about, you know, McDonald's turnaround and uh, telephone operators from the 1920s. And then uh, I don't know that you can see it or not, but back there is Doris Kearns Goodwin's Leadership in Turbulent Times. So I read like wow. all over the place. So I try to stay curious, but a lot of it is just, I'm really trying to listen to the guest. And yeah, to my mind, uh, my probably favorite way of summarizing, you know, when it's a good interview and I don't always do a good job, uh, but it's when <laughs> I true. almost never talk. 
If I mm. almost never talk, if it's 95 to 98% guest, then it's probably a good interview. Wow, man. I, I remember reading in uh, my senior year of college, it was 2016, and I read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by oh, Dale that's Carnegie. That's a great book, man. It's from Classic. like the 20s or something, like 1920s, but yeah. isn't that a great book? It's timeless. I, I, I've added it to my list that I'm going to try to read once a year for the rest of my life, just because it's so, um, I feel like it's so helpful in so many ways. But one of the chapters that stood out to me was he talked about what, you're, what you just said, how um, if you can ask questions to the other person, basically get them talking, not only does it uh, allow you to learn something from them, but it also endears yourself to them in a way that you just talking about yourself could never do um, because it makes them feel, them feel special, uh, I guess. And so um, ha have you experienced that when other people ask you questions that you tend to start I don't know, you, you almost become more interested in them in the process. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I'm listening to audiobooks are a big thing for me. So I'm listening to Adam Grant's Give and Take. And literally the chapter this morning, I did a, a walk rather than a run this morning, was uh, him talking about exactly that phenomena. And so I can't quote the research chapter and verse, but if you look at Adam Grant, um, Give and Take, and it, it reminded me of Dale Carnegie. But he said, studies have been done that show that if you get into a conversation and um, somebody, let's say you and I meet at an event, but you just ask me a million questions. And I don't know a lot about you because you did all the asking and I did all the talking. I will actually feel close to you and I'll say, oh, that Noah is such a great guy. And, <laughs> and I'll feel like I belong in the group, even though I don't know anything about the group, which, wow. you know, when you mention um, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people, everybody makes fun of that book, but it's a great book. Um, one of the things he tells, and again, you got to put this like mid 20th century. Okay. So it's like in New York in a smoky room, yeah. this kind of thing. And this guy's doing like cold call sales and he has this one executive who's in a big office that he can't crack. It's just can't even get his foot in the door, literally where that, that, you know, expression comes from. And then, so he got like two minutes with this guy once after multiple tries over multiple years. So he walks into this office, this young sales guy. And he says, how am I going to like land this deal to sell whatever he's selling? I don't know, staplers, yeah. office products. I have no idea what he's selling, but he's got, a, he's got his moment, right? So he says, how am I going to do this? And he walks into the office and there's a fish mounted on the wall. Mm. And he goes, oh, so Noah, you like, you like fishing? And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, I love fishing. He goes, I only have two minutes, but anyway, have a seat. And so he starts talking about fishing and he just keeps asking him questions. An hour later, he's like, my family that hates my fishing. Nobody ever asked me about it. He goes, so, why are you here? Yeah, I'll take a hundred of those, you know, or whatever. And he makes the sale. Yep. And he didn't even sell. He just talked to yeah. the guy. And I think, I think that's a dying art in our culture right mm. now. We seem to talk at each other or past each other, but not with yeah. each other. And I wow. think a genuine curiosity in other people can, can yield. Well, first of all, I think you're going to be better. Yeah. Uh, I think God, from a spiritual perspective, is actually interested in people. And um, I think I think it opens up relationships and people. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it's so good talking with people instead of talking at people. You, that's something, uh, you, do you know who Joe Rogan is? Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, I, I, I'm a listener. Not like every single episode, but yeah. yeah. 
it's still it's something uh, I, I talk about him a lot in that so many people listen to him because he's so good at talking to people who have different opinions than he does without mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being condescending. He's very open. He's just a very good question asker, I think, at at his core, um, which used to be something I feel like 20 years ago that uh, generally most people had that gift. But now it it really is becoming more and more rare. And I think people stand out. It's been in decline. Um, I have a, a mentor friend who I've had on my podcast a couple of times. He's 81. His name's Gordon McDonald. And yeah, your generation should 100% get to know him. I mean, yeah. he's one of those treasures. Like I do long interviews with him just to yeah. capture them for posterity. Uh, he's written a whole lot of books. But Gordon and I have talked about this, like the, the death of conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I have a long pre-digital memory given my age, but it seems like, you know, even at family functions or events, sometimes people just talk in like status updates. It's <laughs> like, Oh yeah. So this is what I'm putting on my egg today. Blah, 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 blah. Done. (laughs) It's like, you know, okay, if you're going to give someone a status update, why don't you say, well, how about you Noah? Like you ever tried a brisket or tell me what's your favorite steak? You like ribeye, strip loin? Have you ever tried a (laughs) flank steak? Those are hard. Mine always turn out tough. What are you learning? Right? So you kind of go back and forth and um, most people are good people. Like you can get in some really good conversations, but I think it's getting to the point now in our culture where you have to be persistent about it because people don't actually think you're sincere. I found yeah. that even with onboarding staff, when I'm like, no, I really want to know what you think. Yeah. A lot of time they're like, no, he doesn't really want to know what I think. It's like, no, I actually want to know what you think, right? So yeah, so, yeah I, think, I think that'd be really good to see a a resurgence, a renaissance of, of conversation and listening in our culture. Man, I'm so glad you brought up um, Gordon McDonald. I, I listened to your interview. Uh, I think it was entitled The View from 80 or oh, yeah. something similar. And I'm going to link that in the show notes um, for our listeners so that they can check that out because that was so good. Um, the whole thing, I, I think it was two and a half hours long. And I think I took two and a half pages of notes listening to the whole thing. Um, but I want to uh, segue there because it, it really works well. Um, most of our listeners are young leaders uh, from around the United States in particular. And uh, all the time I'm talking to young leaders and they're constantly going, how do I get around older leaders, older mentors? How do I find them and learn from them? Um, and something that I've noticed is that great older leaders are very busy. You know, they have to be. I mean, you have a crazy schedule because so many people want uh, a piece of you. They want to know your thoughts. They want you to hop on their podcast. They want you to give a, a keynote talk or whatever it is that you don't have as much time as maybe you did when you were younger. To someone listening who desires a great mentor or just to learn from a leader who's older than them, what advice would you give a young leader on ways that they could stand out to an older leader that they really want to learn from? Yeah, I would, I would say start local. Um, so I think back to when I was starting in ministry, I, I spent my 20s in school because I went into ministry sideways, you know, did law first and <laughs> BA before yeah. that. And then it's like, oh, seminary now. So I was 30 when I graduated. But um, you know, there, even then it was through magazines, books and conferences, you'd see these guys like Rick Warren or somebody like that. And I'm like, I'm never going to meet Rick Warren, right? How do I get him to mentor me? 
and you can live there. You mentioned like Andy or Craig. And so those guys are actually friends. Like I will, I will be able to text them. And so many of the people that, um, when I was younger, even a decade ago in my forties, like were out of my league, um, you, you can't reach them. And I think it's one of those things where everyone's like, wow, if I could just get like an hour with Craig Grishel, or if I could get Christine <laughs> Kane to build right. into me and be my mentor. And you're right. Those guys are hit up with, uh, with, 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 you know, a million emails a day. So what mm-hmm. do you do? Um, what I did was I just started really local and uh, I had really small churches and there was a guy in a town nearby that had a church of 200. And so I thought, okay, my church is in 200. Doug will meet, his name was Doug and he was older than me. He was in his fifties at the time. And I'm like, Doug will meet with me. And so I couldn't afford to go to California anyway. So I just asked Doug for lunch and I started there. And then as our church started to grow, I had a guy named Chuck who lived five hours away from me, who again, 20 years my senior, took me under his wing. And then you go to a few conferences and you meet a few people. So it wasn't like networking. It wasn't social climbing. It wasn't like hitting up people on public channels, but, but it amazes me sometimes now. Like I look at the guests I've been able to have on my podcast or the relationships I've built with people like Gordon McDonald or, or Craig or people like that. And it didn't start out by trying to build a relationship with them. It started yeah. out local. And then I would say probably what, what, um, what helped in expanding that network is you try to deliver value. Right. So I try to produce content that I I don't know that I have a whole lot to say to top tier leaders, but I do know that there are some top tier leaders who will sometimes access my content or listen to a podcast. And when they're like, oh, you're someone who delivers value and whether they hear that from a friend or whether they experience that firsthand, they're probably going to make time on their calendar or like how you got through all the requests we get on podcasts is like, you knew, I didn't know you, but you knew some people I know who vouched for you. And I'm like, yeah, I think you had to wait a few months, but I'm like, I think we can find time for that. And so we did it. So I think, I think that's a, that's a good path. And I think the trap Noah is that we're like, like it's gross shell or bust. Like he's either building into me or there's nobody. It's like, no, there's a guy five blocks away from you who will sit down and have lunch with you. So why don't you just start there and then see what happens? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Especially with the social media age, I think that's something our generation is really um, tempted to do is is to look at the the biggest names and go, man, I got to figure out a way to, to learn from them. And, well, and to a certain extent, you know, let, let's just say you win the lottery and some guy returns your, your uh, Instagram or whatever, you comment on a TikTok yeah. video and he's like, yeah, let's meet for 10 minutes. The problem is when you get a world-class performer, and I'm thinking back to me, I'm not making comment about you, not making comment about your listeners, but there was such a gap between my reality and their reality that they can't really they can't really help me. They can't really speak into it. Like that would be hours, days, months, years of investment for them to be able to help me because their problems, like when Stephen Furtick runs into a problem, who does he call? Hmm. Right. There's about 20 other people that he can call. Like there's just (laughs) not a whole lot of people who are like, yeah, we're stuck at campus 17 and at 30,000 people, what do we do next? Right. Like that's his world every day. And that's not my world. That's not your world. So I think, I think the guy down the street or the woman down the street is probably going to be of more help to you and then take Mm -hmm. the long view. The other thing social has done, and I'm, I'm a big fan of social, but like social has given us this. I went from zero to a hundred thousand followers 
followers in 20 minutes mentality. It's like, dude, life doesn't work that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, this has been, I love Eugene Peterson's first book is a long obedience in the same direction. Like, and, and, and there's that line, I, I forget who said it, but don't overestimate what you can accomplish yeah. in a year and don't underestimate what you can accomplish in a decade. So just kind of take that long view, find some people down the road who will meet with you and keep learning from the greats and the people who yeah. are leading the field. And one day you may have an opportunity to connect with them and then, then you'll be able to bring some value and ask some helpful questions. Man, this is so this is so helpful to me. Let me ask you this. Let's go back um, a couple decades to Carrie a couple decades ago when you met uh, with Doug and I think you said Chuck. Chuck, yeah, um, Doug and Chuck, great, great, real people who, <laughs> yeah. I, so I had what, dinner with Chuck uh, about two months ago again. So wow, yeah, the relationships that still happen. So when when you were first seeking out Doug and Chuck, what was it about Doug and Chuck? that made you want to meet with them? What were you trying to learn from them? Because I know there's probably young leaders, um, whether they're in ministry uh, vocationally or they're in ministry in their, um, in their business world, uh, who they want mentors, but they're not sure what to look for in a mentor. What, what did you look for? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I... Um... I think in Doug, because I knew him, we were in the same denomination, we would go to regional meetings every month. And I thought, you know, he seems like a really good person, like a genuinely good human. And he's leading a bigger church. And our church had started to grow, but it was, you know, a quarter or half the size of his church. And I thought, there's probably some structural things, some leadership things in a larger growing church that I can learn from. And you know, again, he could meet me on Tuesday, whereas a lot of other leaders, yeah. you know, who I was reading or following <laughs> in the early internet couldn't, couldn't meet with me on Tuesday. And then with Chuck, actually, he reached out to me probably three years into ministry. He heard that we had one of the fastest growing churches in the province and, um, you know, and he had heard about the work. And that's this idea of adding value, right? Like he reached out to me I had heard about him, but I'm like, no, he's out of my league. Like I can't, he leads the largest church in the country in our denomination. He doesn't wow. even know who I am, but he reached out to me and said, Hey, I got a hold of the notes that you presented at this conference. And I thought they were really good. Do you have time for a phone call? And that built now a 25 year friendship that we wow. And you know, and, and so, so that's, that's how that worked. And then the network just kinds of or, organically spreads and it wasn't, it wasn't uh, like part of a master plan where, you know, I'm going to hit up all these people and, and hopefully it just, it just kind of eventually gets to the point where you hopefully add enough value to people's lives that when you do that call or you reach out, they're like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, I'll, I'll help. Like, I'll give you another example. So this took me 30 years to get here. But in 1996, before you were born, I read a book uh, by John Cotter called Leading Change. And it, it really helped. Like it's, it's still one of the classics of change at Harvard Business School. Hmm. So uh, I thought, okay, 2021, I am going to reach out to some people because we, we just get so much inbound in our company. But I'm like, I want to make a list of people I want to interview that would be really fun. So I sent three emails. This is like we're in the beta stages of this. Two, I heard nothing from. I want to name them because I don't want to do that. But like, you know, authors, well, I'd, I'd give you their names. You'd know who they are. I heard yeah. nothing from. That's okay. We all get rejected. But I emailed. A lot of these emails are public. So I emailed John Cotter, who is still teaching at Harvard all these years later. 
and I'm like, Dr. Cotter, I read your book in 1996. Uh, it made this difference. Um, some of my other podcast guests, and I included, you know, colleagues from the marketplace like, uh, like Daniel Pink and others like that, Dan Pink and Pat Lencioni. So on other business types that he's, whose name he would recognize, gave him some stats on my podcast and he got back to me right away. So I'm interviewing him wow. next month and I'm like, well, that's a dream come true. So I'm going to reread Leading Change and a few other books he's written since then. Um, but I think that's kind of how it works, but you have to bring some value to the table as well. Bring value to the table. I love it. Now you are not um, just meeting with Chuck and Doug, although Chuck and Doug obviously uh, have added so much value to your life if you still have a relationship with them. But you're kind of seen as uh, you're in that Mount Rushmore of leadership gurus with Andy Stanley, Craig Groeschel, all those guys. And with that, um, I know just from observing through social media, you have a very busy schedule, um, a lot of different things that you're involved in. Uh, you're writing your second book, um, or is it your second book? Or it's actually number five, but number five. Been, yeah, a few of them have been self-published and in different fields, but this okay. is my second one with Penguin. Yeah, second one with Penguin. I read, uh, didn't see it coming, and it was so good. And part of what I wanted to ask you while I have you here is with that increased um, workload, you know, the demands on your time and you still have a thriving family that live locally. Um, and I just, I'm obsessed with the idea of, of finding the right rhythm where you aren't just doing for God, but you're actually able to be with God while you do with God. And that was something that I really, as I was reading your book, it was just clear that your words were coming from someone who had figured out a good rhythm. Um, of, of that balance. And uh, people my age, I think our tendency is to run too hard, too fast. We have so much mm -hmm. ambition and the world's at our fingertips. You know, we, we just want to go build it and, and get to where we want to go. What advice would you give to, to someone in my shoes who has dreams and aspirations, but we don't want to sacrifice um, the rhythms, the health, the uh, behind the scenes, so to speak, of um, our relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I think decades are different. So you're in your 20s, I'm in my 50s. And, um, you know, I, had, I, I have a lot of energy. Actually, I'm in really good health. I've, I've hit a bunch of personal bests, bests this year, which is a lot of fun in terms of, yeah. you know, at least that's what my Strava app tells me. But anyway, <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of personal bests and fitness and that kind of thing. But what you'll discover is that there are always more opportunities than there is time available. Hmm. Now, in your 20s, you have all kinds of energy and you can, you know, you can coast off three hours sleep once in a while if you need to <laughs> and stay up all weekend and, and all that. You can get away with that. And I got away with that too in my 20s. But that catches up with you fast. Hmm. And particularly as things start to grow, uh, you're going to run into a place. When I wrote uh, Didn't See It Coming a few years ago, uh, when I started developing the ideas around that book, I've got a chapter in burnout and one on cynicism. Yeah. And I remember giving the first talk, this is before the, the book release, just sampling some of the material to see how it landed with an audience. And I started the talk by saying, okay, this talk, there were like a thousand leaders there. And I'm like, this talk is for people over 40. If you're under 40, take notes. It was about cynicism and burnout. Anyway, when the talk was over, I was in Atlanta where you are. Um, I had a long line of 20 to 25 year olds going, uh-uh, no, I'm burned out. I'm cynical. And wow. 
So I'm like, okay, this is, this, is, this is a big issue. So burnout hit me in my 30s. And on the other side of burnout, what I try to do every day, and I've, I've developed this phrase that kind of guides me, and you know, I've written about it in my next book, which will come out in 2021, is sort of built around it. It's simply this, live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Hmm. And when I do that well, I have better days. When I let that get out of hand, I have worse days. So what do I need? to do today spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, um, and even financially that will help me thrive tomorrow. Because a lot of us, particularly, again, we talked about technology a bit, but, you know, I counted last year, I have 11 inboxes. Like that's just (laughs) stupid between all the social media channels and public and private emails, like 11 inboxes and people are just trying to get at you yeah. one way or another. And you have that. So you're always on, you're never off. Hmm. And what is a sustainable rhythm? Steve Jobs, before he died, was uh, asked about the success of Apple in the early 2000s. Like, why did it succeed? And he said, I'm actually more proud of what we said no to than what we said yes to. Wow. And he said, people think creativity is about coming up with new ideas. It's actually about getting rid of all the bad ideas. And then wow. pursuing one thing. So what I would say is what, what rhythms need to be true for you so you can do, you know, live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So for me, you know, we booked this, this interview, we're doing it around lunch. I almost never have meetings in the morning. Um, and I could have meetings all day, every day, no problem. But I'm just like, no, I have a limited buckets for meetings. Uh, I spend the first hour with God uh, I do my reading, my thinking. I went for a walk this morning, uh, listening to a podcast. I try to learn. I took some notes on ideas for the future. And then I'm moving into meetings. Today's a long day. You know, I start at noon and I go till eight o'clock, but that is not a sustainable rhythm. Yeah. And it's not a sustainable rhythm because I also know how many meetings I can have before I get fried. And so <laughs> we, have, we have systems set up for everything. So that we kind of have a limited number of meetings, limited numbers of podcasts we can do, limited number of whatever. Now, in your 20s, you're probably defaulting to saying yes. Mm -hmm. But if leaders are finding themselves in a place where they're tired, where they're exhausted, where they're irritable, where their time with God isn't good, where they're cheating sleep or their health, um, then you want to rethink that. Because I promise you, as things grow and as you get older the opportunities will get greater and greater. And, you know, speaking of, of some of the top leaders that I know, uh, their, their success comes in some measure due to how good they are at saying no. Um, I did a podcast interview. You're, look, I mean, your listeners can't see this, but you are fully present, fully engaged. And that's a sign of a great leader. Like if you get Andy Stanley for an hour, you've got Andy for an hour. He is not <laughs> checking his phone. Same with Groeschel, same with some of the other people we mentioned. Like they are fully focused and they're present with you. I did an interview recently and like the guy was on video. I think it's an audio podcast, but he was literally returning texts while I was talking to him. <laughs> and, and then, you know, checking stuff and, and floating around. And I'm like, I wanted to stop the interview and go, dude, you're, you weren't prepared. Like, yeah. like, like I, I didn't want to do the interview anymore. And I could tell it. He was completely overwhelmed. He, he mm. couldn't say no. And I, I think it probably triggered me because it reminded me in, in my 30s the way I was. Mm. And I'm trying to live differently. So that's a long <laughs> answer to a good question. But Yo. yeah, it's a passion point for me. I love that saying, live in a way today that helps you thrive tomorrow. 
And um, I, you're, you're someone, you're a thought leader for uh, people in the church, out of the church, especially in this new COVID age that we're living in where everyone's pivoting, everyone's trying new strategies and, and different things. And um, I know that we're still in the middle of that and, and things have changed that are never going to go back to, to normal. Um, what are ways that you are living right now as we prepare for 2021? Um, things that you're thinking about going into 2021, things that you're seeing, maybe trends or just things that you're really focusing on um, to be the most effective version of you in 2021. I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's a chance for a hard reset. Um, we all were involuntarily grounded back in March of 2020. Uh, and for years, I'll give you a very practical example. My team, because we, we get speaking requests pretty much every day. And at its heart, I write against it uh, only because at its heart, I'm a people pleaser and I know that's not good. And I say no a lot, but I don't say no enough and I don't want to let you down and I don't want to. And so my team has been like, you can't be on the road this much. And I'm, I've spent, I think last year in 2019, I flew 150,000 miles. Wow. I was on course to probably fly more this year. Wow. And every year it's like, this will be the year I slow down. Right. And then, well, God did that. Or, I, you know, I, I don't want to make a comment theologically about the origins of the pandemic, but like uh, I had no choice. I was grounded along with the rest of humanity and I haven't been on an airplane since March. And I mm. doubt I might. I think it'll be a year or a year and a half before I jump on a plane again. And um, because it's international flights for me. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, a long story short, uh, that is a real opportunity for me to rethink things. And so uh, I am fairly confident, you can hold me true on this, that, that moving forward, like what in, and, and so the principle here is, what in your life do you want to keep from this pandemic? Hmm. And so I want to keep being home more. I realize that you can do virtual events um, and they're actually as effective or more effective than in-person events. I'll jump on a plane again from time to time, but it might be once a month. Yeah. And what I lose in frequent flyer points and <laughs> status with the airlines, I more than gain in almost every other area of my life. Mm. So I would, I would ask the big question, like this is a reset. It's an involuntary reset. What part of it do you want to keep? Like there was some good in here. Yeah. What do you want to keep? As far as trends in the future, uh, I mean, this shouldn't be a hard sell to you or your audience. It is to my generation. I'm the oldest Gen Xer there is. I was born in 65. So okay. boomers and Gen Xers struggle with this a little bit more, but like online is the future. Yeah. And every time I talk about it, I get beat up and people want in person. Yeah, they want in person, but in person doesn't have to be in your building. Yeah. And, you know, you can gather in people's homes. So I, I see online is the future. And it was something like, uh, these numbers are going to be wrong, but 30 or 40% of churches were online prior to the pandemic. And now almost everybody's online. Yep. So, you know, you got to figure that out. And your generation was definitely online, but it'll be that slim, seamless slipstream between digital and physical for your mm -hmm. generation, right? You're texting someone and two minutes later, you're at the coffee shop having coffee yeah. together and then you're texting each other in the cab ride home, right? So something yeah. like Uber home. Um, so so that's, that's happening. Uh, I think there is a shift toward home that is probably permanent. Mm -hmm. So from a business perspective, if you look like we're in and out of lockdown now, as many areas of the US are, how many gyms are gonna survive? And a lot of people bought kettlebells. So 
or bikes or, yeah. you know, better shoes. So how many of them are going to renew their gym membership? And then yeah. how is the business model pivoting? When, we, when will we feel safe to go back into crowded restaurants again? I don't know the answer to that. And people like you, like you discovered grilling, right? On the Big Green yeah. Egg. So yeah. there was a whole generation that didn't know how to cook that has, you know, <laughs> they might keep doing their sourdough in the future. I don't know. Like how yeah. much of this is temporary and how much is permanent. So I like to think in the business space, like if I was a restaurateur uh, and I had drive through, I'd be adding a second lane or a third lane because mm. I think dining in there, there will always be a place for dining in. Um, there's a restaurant in Seattle that uh, was a fine dining. Like, how do you pivot when you're a fine dining restaurant? So what they did is they started delivering experiences to people's home, not just the food, but the tablecloth and the candles and wow. all the stuff that comes with fine dining. I'm like, there's innovative thinking. It's called Candleless Restaurant if you want to look it up in uh, yeah. Seattle. So I think, I think that pivot home, like school kind of moved home, church moved home for a season. Now all the pastors are trying to get people back into the building, but we were already struggling with declining church attendance and infrequent yeah. church attendance. So, you know, is your future ministry going to be a slipstream between digital and physical? I think, yes, that's where I would mm. go. So those are some trends I'm seeing. And then distributed workforce. I've led a virtual team for over five years. Um, but if you look at what's happening in Silicon Valley, Dropbox, Twitter, Google, they're like Dropbox is actively downscaling its offices to shared communal space and saying you wow. can be distributed. And if you're in a small city, you got listeners all over the US. Like, wow. I think what you're going to see is exits out of overpriced cities like New York and San Francisco and LA and Chicago. Mm. And you'll see more people settling in Des Moines or, um, you know, Boise, or you'll yeah. see more people settling in Charlotte or other cities that weren't exactly top tier cities. Yeah. But now cost of living is lower. Yep. Uh, you can do virtual work. So I'll see, I think you'll see a, a greater equal distribution geographically of people and services. So I think it's going to be massive. Like we've got a decade uh, of change that got accelerated in about a year. And it's, leaders who are ready for that are going to do better. I mean, does that resonate with you? Like, what do you oh, think? It resonates with me so much. I, I love the uh, example of if you owned a fast food restaurant, you'd be figuring out a way to add a second lane. Because um, I think you can use that in, that's a metaphor for any walk of life. What's your second yeah. lane that you're going to add? Or what are you going to double down on that's working? Or, or it, you know, you, you lost the dining room. So what are you going to pivot to? Um, as, a, as a young pastor, I, the idea of the seamless digital to in-person kind of going back and forth thing really resonates with me. We've been um, transitioning. Our church is called Neighborhood Church. And uh, our motto is find Jesus, be a neighbor, win the neighborhood. And um, mm. our whole church model has shifted from come listen to me to come do life with me in house groups. Oh. And um, it's really, That's we're using feature. online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're using online, and, and, uh, but we're still doing it in smaller communities. They don't have to come into our building for them to be a part of our church is kind of what we're trying to pivot to. And a lot of that's come from reading your articles. So thank you for that, for helping us find our second drive-through lane. <laughs> oh, listen, I think that's awesome. And, you know, I'm working on my 2021 church print trends post, but that's one of the trends. It's like, mm. 
gathering people to listen to me. It's like, guys, mm. the internet showed up a long time ago. Yeah. And that whole economy being come and see our series, right? And <laughs> come and listen to me. It's like, I can listen to anyone, anytime, yeah. anywhere. There has to be something more to that. Yeah. Now, that's not an excuse for bad communication, but this whole idea True. of being the church and being a community and equipping people where they're at in the distributed church. Mm. I do think that's the future. In the same way workplaces are distributed, the yeah. church will be distributed. Right yeah. now, most churches are using online to fill their buildings. And in the future, people will use their buildings to reach people online who are <laughs> gathering independent. I think, I think you'll see that, that pivot. But a so lot of people good. disagree with me, so put an asterisk. <laughs> I, I get beat up on that a lot from uh, leaders. It's, it's going to be fun to, to figure it out. And it's, it's just cool that the church is such a collaborative body where we can just help each other. Hey, this is working for me. This is working over here. And um, I know that this has been super helpful to our listeners. And uh, out of respect for your time, I want to close with this because I feel like I know you really well from listening to uh, your podcast every week. But there may be uh, a lot of our listeners who this is their first time hearing your voice and getting to know you a little bit. And so um, I love this question. This, this will be my last question. If you could give a TED talk or if you were asked to mm. give a TED talk on one thing outside of leadership and ministry, something completely um, not having to do with what you do on a daily basis, what would your TED talk be on? Hmm. That's a great question. So it can't be uh, what I do on a daily basis because I have like niche subjects that I would probably yeah. talk about. Yeah. Um, I would probably, because I haven't talked about this a lot on my channels, I would probably talk about how influence works. Hmm. Like there's this whole theme of how to become an influencer. And I actually yeah. have a very different thought on influence. And we already talked about it a little bit. Like don't, don't try to go from zero to 100,000 or a million online. And if that happens to you, awesome. But that kind of, that kind of influence has no foundation. Um, yeah. Because if, you're, if your platform outgrows your character, that is the recipe for moral failure and ultimately for the collapse of the platform. It just doesn't work. Like if you only have three ideas and now you have a million people following from you, following you, you're going to discover, they're going to discover those three ideas and how bankrupt you really are. So um, I think, and that, that leads to imposter syndrome. So I think influence actually, when it, when it grows authentically and over a lifetime and, um, you know, is good for decades, mm. it happens because you're adding value to people, you're helping people. Yeah. And it grows a little more incrementally and sometimes has exponential moments. Yeah. But um, it's really someone who can deliver value, like you've discovered the hidden treasure. And so what yeah. I would say about influence is, is work on those things that really will help you bring value to other people. And then the influence will take care of itself. Come on. I hope there's a TED Talk on there uh, on that someday by you or a book. I would buy it. Um, that, was, <laughs> that was awesome. Carrie, thank you so much for being on All Our Ways. I'm going to make sure that um, we have your podcast linked and uh, the Gordon McDonald episode as well in the bio for our listeners. Go check out uh, Carrie's podcast. This was an honor for me. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm excited for people to hear this. Thanks, Noah. It's been a joy to be with you. Really, really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit.